Good morning, everybody. This is your co-host, Alex Estrada. Thank you for tuning in to the Helco Homes podcast. Today, we're going to be talking about how to evaluate a deal, part one. Stay tuned. All right, everybody, thanks for tuning in. I hope everyone had a wonderful Thanksgiving holiday. I know I did. Today's episode is a, is a fun one because we actually had a few people request that we talk about the process of evaluating a deal. We're gonna break it down into multiple parts. So in today's episode, we're going to specifically talk about single family homes. In the world of wholesale real estate, there's several aspects to evaluating a deal. So what we want to talk about today is how to approach the deal, uh, what kinds of questions to ask, and things you should be aware of when looking at a deal. And uh, you know, I got Alex here again, he's my co-host. Alex is going to talk to us a little bit about, from his perspective and his experience, what we should be doing when looking at a deal. So Alex, let's say this is a driving for dollars deal. Right. Okay. So for our audience listening, if you don't know what driving for dollars is, it's like one of the first techniques every wholesale person picks up. It's basically exactly what it sounds like. You get in your car, you drive around a neighborhood and you jot down addresses of houses that you would like to find out if that person who owns it is willing to sell it. So Alex, let's say that you do driving for dollars, right? You, you're in, in your neighborhood, um, you see this uh, completely dilapidated house, it's vacant, it's an eyesore, it's the only one in the neighborhood that looks like that, um, and you decide you wanna reach out to the owner to see if they wanna sell. Uh, what is your approach for that kind of a deal? When I go do driving for dollars, I pick a targeted area, houses that are areas in the in San Antonio or in the city that are hot areas. So I'll go driving through there. I start on one street. I go up a street and I look at one side, and then I turn around and I go and I look at the other side. A lot of people miss properties. What they typically look for is you know an abandoned property, but it doesn't have to be just abandoned property. What I look for is properties that uh, are actually occupied as well. I look at everything. I look at how big a property is. I look how distressed a property is. I look for uh, a garage. I look for a driveway. I look for things that are attractive to investors, not just whether they're abandoned or they're just run down. There's other aspects in driving for dollars that you wanna look for. Uh, I look for how big the front yard is or how big the backyard is. Okay, so uh driving for dollars um we can actually have an entire episode about that because there's there's so many different aspects to it there's a lot of things to consider when when doing driving for dollars but the takeaway uh on this particular episode is um you know first you have to find a potential deal you, it starts with that lead and you go driving for dollars you find a, a house and in this case like alex is saying um, maybe it's occupied but it's extremely distressed the first thing you really want to do is you got to find out who the owner is yes. um, chances are in a distressed house that's occupied like that just from looking at the data i would say about 80 percent of the time um, not thinking about specific zip codes or specific neighborhoods or anything just as a whole 
chances are the people living there do not own that house. There's a landlord somewhere or what we call an absentee owner. Uh, in a lot of those cases, you know, the landlord does want to get rid of the house because whether or not those tenants are good tenants and they're paying, the costs are building up on maintaining that house. And as a landlord, if you're renting to somebody, you have to take care of that, that house. That is your responsibility legally. Uh, so first thing is find out who owns the house, reach out to them and see if they're willing to sell the house in the first place. I mean, obviously if they're not going to sell you the house, that's not a, that's, that deal's dead. If they say yes, then you move on to the next aspect of that. And that next aspect is Alex, take it away. What I like to do is I like to find out why, why are they selling that, uh, that question alone will f tell you right there if that person is highly motivated or not really motivated. I just would like to see what they get for their property. So I'll give you an example. I reached out to the seller. Now this, this person has a portfolio of properties, right? Okay. I asked them, Mr. and Mrs. Seller, uh, you know, my name is Alex Estrada. Uh, I buy properties in that area. I was driving by this particular one. It caught my eye, so I decided to reach out to you to see if you're interested in uh, selling the property to me. They say yes. I say, okay, great. Uh, if you don't mind me asking, why would you consider selling the property? And then they go on to telling me how tired they, they are of keeping up with the properties, how they would like to retire. And then they also, what they also stated was they like to see what they can get for the property. Okay, so just hearing what they had to say about that particular property, to me... I would take it as they're semi-motivated or not really in a hurry of selling it, but they would like they would like the idea of retiring. But to me alone, that's not really a highly motivated seller to me. Yeah, and we kind of talked about this in the last episode when we were talking about uh, lead sources and where to find leads and the type of leads that you can work. Because when you do driving for dollars, for example, you never know what the motivation for selling is going to be. It could be a tired landlord. It could be someone who inherited the house and now they have squatters in it. Uh, it could be, you know, the person who uh, lives there has a uh, you know, medical issue that they can't afford to take care of their house. And regardless of uh, the type or reason of motivation, um, whatever it is, is going to determine how you approach the rest of that conversation. When it comes to sales, uh, or negotiations, you know, you, you have to be prepared with your toolkit. You know, you got to know uh, how to approach different scenarios. And this, this brings me to uh, our next point is that when talking to a seller, so at this point in the conversation for this, for our example, the seller says they want to sell. You know, we're, we're going to assume that, yes, they want to sell their property because if they don't, obviously we can't go any further than that. So now they say they want to sell the property. The next important thing is finding out their number. What is their number? As in, uh, what do they want for it? And I think this is where uh, a lot of beginner wholesalers fail because, um, first of all, I think they're nervous and they're on the phone with someone. And yeah, it gets have, really intimidating. And they have no idea how it's going to go. And then you, you, you get to that point where you say, Mr. and Mrs. Seller, uh, if I could offer you cash, uh, you know, would you be willing to sell your house? And they say yes. And for a lot of beginner people, that's like, oh my God, they said, yes, it's not a no. Like, what do I do? What do I do? What do I do? And then you start fumbling through and you start asking questions that are on your script. You're like, uh, well, well, how old is the house? What kind of repairs are needed? Uh, what's the square footage? And blah, blah, blah. And the entire conversation, they forget to ask, 
what do they actually want for it? Because yeah. if they're asking full retail value, yeah. that's that's a done deal. You can't do it, you know? Yeah, uh, I wouldn't so, waste my time. So Alex, how would you how do you approach making sure that you get a number uh, or at least a number range out of someone, especially if they're not yet ready to, to offer that? And, and I say that because I, I recently saw uh, one of our acquisition partners in a, in a situation where um, uh, the seller was continuously kept asking, uh, what is your offer? What is your offer? Uh, without ever giving a number to that acquisition partner. So uh, give us both scenarios, Alex. Like what, what, what's the approach when first trying to get that number? And then what do you do if that person refuses to give you that number? I wanna uh, quickly go back to finding out why, why they were motivated, okay? Cause that, that question alone could get you to that price offer. I'll give you an right, example. Right. One thing that I have learned is that people talk a lot about themselves or sometimes people will kill the deal for themselves. So I like asking that question because that question will lead you into their price offer. This lady was explaining to me that the reason why I'm selling is because I'm in, I'm in debt. I can't keep up with the taxes. I can't keep up with the mortgage. That alone is going to tell me, one, they're highly motivated, and two, they have a number already in mind. She says, well, I owe $60,000, but I'm also in debt $5,000 on payments. So now we're at $65,000. I'm like, all right, ma'am, so how much do you think the property is worth? She's all like, well, I'm not sure, but I know I took out a loan. And um, you know, around 120,000, and I'm, I've been paying off for the last 10, 15 years. And now, recently, I just got sick, and now I fell so behind on medical bills and my house. Now I'm really scared. I'm gonna get foreclosed on. I said, okay, no worries. What you need is 65,000. Okay. Do you understand that there is a possibility that you're not going to walk away with anything from this? Would that be fine with you? She said, well, you know, I would like to walk away with 5000 Okay, so great. Now we're at 70000 So now I got a price out of her. So she needs to be at 70000 for this property. The next question that I go into is let's talk about what the property needs in repair. And then I always... So, <clears throat> before we get into that, uh, I want to point out for our listeners, obviously Alex is experienced and he knows what he's talking about, but there's a couple of things that uh, you might have missed or not be aware of. So I just want to go back and, and highlight those things. So first off, uh, when he's talking about their motivation, that's important for multiple reasons, not just getting their number, but also about determining what strategy you're going to try to approach. In the wholesale real estate game, you're both buying and selling, well, quote unquote, buying and selling, because you're trying to acquire that contract, but you got to sell that contract to somebody. And that contract for that property may be appropriate for a specific type of investment strategy and you want to be able to understand how to uh, set that property up for that appropriate exit and we'll talk about that in a little bit but the other thing i want to point out is in wholesale real estate uh, one of the general rules of thumb for a formula to acquire a property typically is going to be 70 to 75 percent of arv which is the after repair value minus any of the rehab expenses or costs associated with getting that property fixed. So that's what Alex was about to jump into um, because yes, that is important. You have to know what it's gonna cost to fix the house. But part of the reason why you have to know that is because that's gonna determine 
uh, where you are with whether or not this is a good deal or not and whether or not it's going to fit a particular investing strategy. With that said, let's get back to talking about the renovation expenses. So uh, if you want to continue with that, Alex. When evaluating rehab, you got to think of it as you're the end buyer yourself. And the first thing is foundation. How is the foundation? Is the foundation a pure beam or concrete? Next question you want to know is when's the last time it's been fixed or it has had some repair? And then the third thing is, is the foundation leveled or is it sagging in the back? Uh, Has there been any plumbing issues? Because if you're dealing with a concrete slab, okay, there's pipes that have been put in those concrete foundation. And if there's cracks throughout the whole house, that's gonna be a problem. That's just gonna be a lot of money for your end buyer. So you wanna just get as much as possible. Another thing that I started asking is the roof. How is the roof? Uh, Is the roof, uh, if you haven't seen the property, uh, what I ask is, okay, is it a metal? Is it a shingle? Is it leaking? How old is the roof? Uh, when's the last time there's it's been repaired? The another thing that I always ask is the electric. Is the electrical box been updated? Is it a breaker box? Is it a fuse box? Questions like this you need to be asking. Okay, that's going to determine how severe your rehab is. And sometimes you're going to get questions where they're going to be like, Oh, I don't know. I haven't been at the property in a long time. As soon as you hear that, what you got to start doing is evaluating the rehab. Worst case scenario, do your due diligence on the rehab as much as possible, okay? The more, you, the more you know, the better you're armed for and prepared for your end buyer, okay? So another thing you wanna ask is, how's the interior? Does interior need new sheetrock? Is there holes? Um, how are the windows? You know, does it need painting? Does the windows need to be updated? Are there board, is any windows boarded up? Another thing you wanna ask as well, is the exterior, how's the exterior? Is the exterior in bad shape? What do you think needs to be fixed? What do you think that I'm gonna need a repair? And when you're evaluating rehab, I do $12 per square foot of what the living square footage is. So if the square footage is 1200, I do 12 times 1200 equals $14,400. About Fifteen to twenty thousand dollars. I always add extra in their worst case scenario. Okay, um, I do twenty thousand dollars for this property. Okay, and that now, Alex, I, real quickly, um, <clears throat> where does that twelve dollars a square foot come from? Is there like a standard for that? Is it kind of just uh, in the industry what's expected, or is there a way that you came about with that twelve dollar and as an average figure per square foot? The twelve dollars came about. Uh, to get, it's like a, a quick way of determining rehab over the phone, okay. you know, to, uh, to take in consideration when you're, you know. Now, I do want to point out that um, this, uh, so far what we're talking about here is before you've seen the house. And this conversation can, can be actually one of a, of a couple scenarios. Uh, the first one is, you know, yeah, you, you got a hold of that uh, seller they said they want to sell the house and you're just getting information from them um, before you can give them a offer of any kind. That's typically the way it should go. Okay. Um, but there's also situations where, uh, let's say you're virtual wholesaling, you know, maybe, you know, we live in San Antonio, Texas, but we're trying to work a deal in New York or New Jersey or Tennessee. 
Um, you know, we've done deals in all these states. Can't physically go there and look at the house. That's not realistic, especially if there's no guarantee that, that we can even get it under contract or, or sell that contract. So essentially you put yourself in a situation of dealing with a sight unseen property. So it would be the same situation of, uh, in, in our case, we're here in San Antonio, if that owner or seller does not have access to the property anymore or, or physically for whatever reason we cannot get into the property let's say maybe there's a tenant and the tenant is uh, uncooperative or is just we just can't get into the house um, that puts you again in a situation where you have a sight unseen property so whether you're uh, a sight unseen physically in the same city that you're in or you're virtual wholesaling and you can't you know physically go look at the property it is still a sight unseen deal so the questions that alex is, is talking about these are actually very important especially if you're going to deal with a sight unseen property um, so uh, alex before we talk about getting into the or getting to the point of, of having a walkthrough of the property um, let's uh, talk a little bit about how to uh, figure out a deal for a sight unseen property uh, can you talk a little bit about that? I've had situations where some of these sellers ha haven't even been at their own property in years. They probably got like third party, you know, a third party ent entity collecting the payments for them where they felt like they don't even have to go see the tenant themselves. Okay, great. I see how this is going to go. So the way I evaluate it is I, I skip the whole rehab. I skip the whole rehab question. I just think worst case scenario, I do a formula that determines worst case scenario and rehab, uh, okay. times what's, of footage. What's that formula look like? Determine that, what I do is I do $18 per square foot. Okay. That, that's, that's what I do, worst case scenario. Your best way of dealing with that is thinking worst case scenario. You don't wanna screw yourself in this, in this deal, okay? You wanna play it smart, you know, patience is a virtue. And then, um, you know, I tell them where I need to be in the deal as far as range based on another formula, 75% times what the property is worth. So let's just say the ARV, which is after repair value, is gonna be 135, I do 135,000 times 0.75, which is $101,000, minus whatever the rehab is gonna be. So let's just say the rehab is $40,000, okay? So I do 101,000 minus that $40,000, which is the rehab, equals to 60,000. So where I want to tell you know my seller, I'm like Mr. and Mrs. Seller, you know I'm thinking worst case scenario here because you haven't seen the property yourself in years. So let's just think worst case scenario on the rehab. So I there's this formula that we use to determine where we need to be in order to do a walkthrough. Okay, this is very important. Let them know you know, where this price is because you don't waste your time going out there, okay? Yeah, you might be excited, they might still want to sell, but they have to be motivated enough to sell and to be around where you need to be, so. I also want to jump in here and say that um, at this point in the conversation, you actually have a very strong piece of leverage to, uh, to use in the negotiation process because, um, you know, personally, I think 
honesty is always the best policy mm -hmm. um, and being completely transparent with this conversation is is extremely important but it's important for both parties so yeah. when you're talking to the seller it's important to let them know like hey i understand that you want to get the most out of this property and i know you want to sell it but lying to me about uh, how much rehab is needed is not going to help the deal because if you tell me that it needs you know twenty thousand in rehab when it's really thirty or forty thousand in rehab and i go and tell my investor buyers that they're only going to need twenty twenty five thousand at most to fix this house and it turns out it's almost double that no one's going to buy that deal which means yeah. that person isn't going to get any money out of it so that person is really only hurting themselves and you know and if they keep doing that with uh, another wholesaler after another wholesaler after another wholesaler um, they're really just hurting themselves so it's important to stress to them like hey let's just be honest with the conversation we you and I may not like the numbers but that's the reality and yeah. we'll determine based on the facts whether we can work this or not yeah well well you know by this time it's I feel like it's the wholesalers responsibility to uh, set expectations in right. the deal Absolutely. to control Absolutely. You know, the seller, control the buyer, control your buyer. You know, nobody's perfect, but what you want to do is, you know, you as a wholesaler have responsibilities, okay? It's not going to help lying to your seller on where you need to be. And when you go see it, you determine, you know, that you have to be way, way down on the price and where it, it actually is because you didn't do the... You didn't do the proper due diligence on it. You didn't do the proper uh, formulas. You know, you just went in there blind, hoping, you know, in your head that it was going to sell magically by itself. You know, set the expectations. That's your responsibility as a wholesaler. Uh, what I tell the seller is, you know, seller, worst case scenario, uh, based on what you told me and what my formula tells me, this is where I need to be. And I give them you know, a price range. I don't ever, ever give them an exact number because when you give it, them a seller an exact number, they're going to hold you to that. I tell them, Mr. and Mrs. Seller, I need to be between 50 and 55. You know, is that something you can work with? And they say, yes. Boom. Great. Then the next thing you want to do after you get them to be where you need them to be, at least be 10,000, no more, no less than 10,000 away from where you need to be. Okay, because ten thousand dollars away from sixty thousand, which is seventy, or ten thousand away from fifty-five thousand, that's still good. Okay, you then you can set up a walkthrough. Don't waste your time going out there and you are like thirty thousand dollars in price difference on where you need to be and where the seller wants to be. That is a big waste of your time. You know, value your time property. So let's assume that everything up until now has worked out beautifully. You talk to the seller, they want to sell, they were completely honest with all their rehab numbers, uh, and now you've set up a time and a, uh, and a date to go actually physically walk through the property to, to look at it yourself. When you walk through a property, what are you looking for? Okay, so when I go take a look at a property, I start taking pictures. You want to get as much pictures of everything as possible. What you want to do is take pictures of the front of the house, the driveway, the garage, if there is a garage or a driveway, uh, the side of the house, all the way around the property, okay? You also want to take a picture of any meters, boxes, uh, this being a single family. You want to take a picture of the electrical and water and gas meters. And guys, also, 
to just to add on to this real quick, be responsible. You know, if you're going to go to someone uh, someone's property, make sure you have their permission to take pictures and video. <laughs> yeah. uh, and and if you do have their permission, make sure that you that the pictures you take only include their property. You don't yeah. want to have the neighbors showing up on your pictures. You don't want to have um, you know, the, the sky or the street or all that, uh, you know, stuff, like, fo- focus on the things yeah. that are important. Make sure that you have the permission uh, from the owner or the seller to get those pictures and get those videos. In some places it's probably ideal, uh, if not required to have some sort of, uh, documentation in writing that they sign off on. Maybe it's like a waiver or something like, you know, a media waiver of some kind that it states that you, they have given you permission to take pictures and video of their property. And if they, if they do, um, you know, keep in mind that, uh, it may not necessarily involve getting pictures and video of other people who are on that property, whether it's another wholesaler, an agent, uh, the owner, the seller, if the house is occupied, try to be mindful of the tenant. You don't want to get them in pictures. If there are tenants you don't want to get uh, pictures and video of, of personal identifiable inter- information. Be responsible when you're when you're doing that. But sorry about that, Alex. You can, no, you can get back. No, to you're it. fine. I actually want to add to that. You always want to ask permission. But when I do meet the seller, as I, Mr. And Mrs. Seller, may I? Do you mind if I take pictures from my contractors? Okay, you say I'm taking pictures from my contractor. Of course, they'll say yes. They want that money. They're like, yeah, take pictures all you want. Blah blah blah. Right. Okay, if you have somebody there taking pictures for you while you're talking with the seller, that's fine, but make sure they follow behind you in the walkthrough and take pictures behind you so that way nobody's in the picture. As a wholesaler, you need to respect people's privacy and be respectful of the tenants if there is tenants. That is very uncomfortable for the tenants to have people all up in their house taking pictures of them in it, you know, especially when they got valuables in the house. Just be respectful and mindful of it, okay? So going back to you know, the walkthrough. You want to re- build a report because it's going to help you leading up to the, you know, the negotiation to, you know, to give them the final price, you know, at the end of that walkthrough. What you always want to do on your walkthrough is have them talk about the property, any repairs, you know, you know, try to get as much information as possible. And at the same time, what you want to do is this is a tip. This is what I do. When you see cracks or anything that needs to be repaired or fixed, what you want to do is don't talk about it. Don't be like, oh, my God, this is all messed up. I don't know this and that. People hate that. I hate that. Okay, I've I've had buyers. I had rookie buyers come to my properties and then they point out every single repair needed and they just like they go about it just in an ugly way. Okay, that's. To me, that already tells yeah, me no you're, one, you're no one likes it. being nickel and dimed. Yeah, nobody <laughs> likes being nickel and dimed, and that's just gonna piss off people when it comes to talk, when it comes to talking about purchase price. Because in their head, you're already gonna get them low balled. Okay, you're gonna already try to low ball. So what you want to do is, this is this is what I do. Okay, I just touch it. I touch it, and I just ask questions. You know, still building that report, but I touch everything that's messed up. I don't, I don't talk and be like, oh my God, what happened here? This and that. I just touch it. I'm like, okay, okay, cool, cool. And how long have you had the property? As I'm touching what needs to be fixed. Because to them, they know, and as a, you know, they know that I'm doing my due diligence and they know, you know, that it's going to cost, that I'm, I'm going to say that it's going to cost me money. You know, they, 
this you know it's just a better way of going about it as to yeah you know, it's just a psychological tool <laughs> yeah. basically like it works. <laughs> you're, you're both subconsciously agreeing that work needs to be done without being uh, a jerk about it basically mm -hmm. and um, you know on that note i do want to throw out a pro tip um, when it comes to doing walkthroughs and evaluating properties and this is this goes for everybody, but I think in particular with new wholesalers that haven't really figured out the game yet, build a network of contractors uh, in different areas. Um, you know, like here in San Antonio, specifically Bear County, we have a lot of, uh, you know, little municipalities like, you know, you got Helotus, um, you got, you know, Universal City, uh, you got Kirby. Um, you know, there's a lot of little uh, places uh, that are still considered technically San Antonio, but uh, even even a city like Seguin, um, if you go and do a deal in Seguin, you will run into a permit issue for absolutely everything, whereas in San Antonio may not be the case, especially if you're outside city limits. So if you uh, are talking to contractors to give you a second opinion about your numbers or your estimates on numbers, um, you know, let's say, for example, uh, you got a pier and beam foundation that needs to be leveled. Um, and, and you want uh, you you have a general idea of what that number is going to be, but you just want a, a second opinion. Maybe call two or three different contractors that do work in those areas mm -hmm. and find out. So you know, hey, um, I've I've done a deal like inside San Antonio, but you know, what are the permit costs for doing a deal outside San Antonio or you know in this city or in this neighborhood? Yeah. Um, because those costs could be different, and there could be uh, additional permit. Uh, uh, that, that need to be pulled in order to do that work. And that's going to add on to the rehab costs. And those are some things that people don't think about, you know, like if you have to do, um, you know, full electrical, um, that's, that's multiple permits that need to be pulled. And like I said, if you go to some city like Seguin, uh, it's a little more difficult. It's a longer process to do those things. So you want to account for that in terms of, of money, but also in terms of time. So when you uh, are selling that contract to an investor and let's say it's a you know vacant property uh, to be fixed and uh, they're gonna they want to use it as a flip you know let them know hey this particular property is in a particular place that requires a lot of permitting and it's gonna take a while to do the fix before you can flip yep. and and they need to factor that in to their returns for their holding costs so you know that's uh, that's something to keep in mind so again pro tip have a network of contractors that can give you second opinions that are knowledgeable about the areas in terms of permits requirements um, you know zonings code all of those things to help you out if you don't know how to go about doing rehab or what you need to look for and uh, get your get yourself a gc going in for the first couple of walkthroughs you know get yourself a, a general contractor out there have them look at certain things you know let them know like look i'm not really familiar with what rehab i need to be looking for for my for my end buyers so you know can you help me out can you come check out this property with me you know just network with some gcs take some out there with you let them see it you know they'll explain to you what you need as a wholesaler you need to be looking out for for your end buyers especially if they dealt with other wholesalers and investors themselves they know what they're going to be needing to look out for and then you know after a while you get experience in the, these walkthroughs by now you're going to already know what you need to be looking out for to build on that the next step in the in this entire process you've heard us talking about this formula 
this entire episode. You know, the 70 to 75% of after repair value minus the rehab expenses. Now, let's address what that after repair value is because up until now, we haven't really talked about that. So how do you get that after repair value? How do you understand what it could sell for or estimate what it could sell for? Um, and uh, on this, this particular topic, I want to be completely upfront and frank about this is that um, you have to be careful with how you approach this because different areas have different laws regarding um, if you're going to access the MLS to obtain comparable sales. Uh, historical sales. I know some places and some states uh, require that you be a licensed real estate agent and only licensed real estate agents can access the MLS. So if you're a wholesaler, but you are not a licensed real estate agent and you can't access MLS, uh, technically you're not supposed to ask uh, someone who is licensed to do it for you. Um, now, there's different rules in different places. So I'm not a lawyer. Please consult with someone in your area who is more knowledgeable about that and, and guide you in the right direction. So what I want to talk about is um, if you do not have access to MLS, how can you determine comparable sales or estimated property values? And, um, and with that, I want Alex to talk a little bit about how we use Zillow and other tools like that. If you don't have access to MLS, use Zillow. Zillow's pretty much like the generic version. It tells you what you know it's estimated to be, and you'll see it, it'll say Zestimate, okay? When you, it'll pull up the property, when you put in the property address, and it'll say Zestimate. That number right there, keep in mind, Zillow's not really accurate, okay? So if you are able to consult somebody that has MLS, that's great, awesome. Tell them to verify the, the, the comps for you. The comps are just the comparisons of what, you know, the numbers in the area are. And this is easier to do if, um, if like the, the person who's selling the house does have a real estate agent who's representing them. Um, you do have the right to request comparable sales values from them. You know, they represent the seller and it's obviously in everybody's best interest to have the most accurate data. And if they're going to give you a counter offer, you have the right to request the information to as to how they got that counter offer oh, yeah. with the comparable values. So that's one approach you can do if you don't have access to MLS or a real estate agent. I'm just going to put this out there. I personally don't like to deal with realtors. They just make things very, very hard. I like to deal with the sellers themselves. If you can deal with the sellers themselves, more power to you. But I personally do my best to try to avoid realtors. Yeah, because, real estate agents yeah. who who work uh, with investors, uh, or rather, I guess the the term to use is investor friendly uh, real estate <laughs> yeah. agents. Those are very hard to come by, and you know most realtors will say they are investor friendly, um, but once you start working with them, you'll you'll realize very quickly that they are not. Um, and like I said, it's, it's difficult to find, but they are out there. So if you, if you have to work with a real estate agent, you know, understand that it's going to be a little different game than dealing directly with the seller. Um, going back to the Zillow, you did mention something about a formula. Yes. Uh, can we talk about that? Yes. So on Zillow, like I said before, it's not really accurate to what MLS says, but you know, Zillow is a great way to determine. It's a starting point. Yeah, it's a starting point, especially if you don't have connections with the MLS. So anyways, now keep in mind, sometimes they'll let you know whatever's been on MLS, it's been on Zillow. It's on, whatever's on Zillow 
it's on MLS or it has been on MLS, okay? Right. And it'll also, Wazilla will also be able to tell you is whether there's a pending deal on a property. Because if there's a pending deal, that means it's currently on MLS and somebody's already making a deal and they're in the middle of, uh, you know, a contract or whatever, they're just waiting for it to close. But if it says off market, more power to you, okay? Just keep an eye out on that as well. It'll tell you. And it'll have a red dot, it'll say pending, it'll have a red dot, it'll say for sale. It'll have a gray dot, it'll say off market. You want to get those off market ones. When it says Zestimate has it at 135 or 115, that is your ARV right there. Use that as an ARV after repair value. So if they're requesting 80,000, okay, and you don't know what to counter offer at, you go to Zillow, you look at what it says on Zestimate, it says 115, 115 times 75%. 75%, by the way, is what they want to invest all their money at a 75% all in, and they want to get 25% back of what that property is worth. Right, in other words, they want to have a 25% equity spread. Yes. So not that they're going to put all of their money into it, but what the breakdown is, uh, whatever they can get out of that property, the ARV or com the after repair value, they are only going to be willing to put in up to 75% of that number into the deal so yeah. that there's a, uh, a that cushion of 25% in equity. So if they were to sell, they could get all of that equity as, uh, you know, cash, you know, before taxes and all that stuff. That's, that's a whole nother conversation there. But yeah, but this is very important. I do want to throw it out there. You got to find out what your end buyers are trying to be at. Some of them want to be at a 70% uh, all in. Sometimes some of these people are wanting to take a 75% all in. Some investors don't mind taking 80%, but that's very, that's like way out there. Okay. Right. Don't try to avoid that. Okay. Don't be greedy. Now your all in includes for an investor is what they're going to put, what they're going to pay you for the property, what they're going to have to pay for the rehab and what is also going to have to pay for any other expenses like uh, insurance or utilities or what they're going to have to pay as far as the closing costs as well. So you need to take all of that into consideration. Yeah, so let's recap this on the on the formula for evaluating that that number. Let's say the after repair value or ARV is 100,000. That means your investor buyer is only willing to put in 75,000 at most on that deal typically this is the just for example that would be 75 percent of the arv now of that 75,000, you have to factor in their holding costs their cost of insurance closing costs the repairs the actual cost of acquiring the property and then whatever your assignment fee is going to be yeah so all of that has to come out of that seventy-five thousand dollars. so that's how you're going to determine whether or not this deal is even possible. So let's say that um, you know this property needs fifteen thousand in repairs. So you you're at seventy five all in. Subtract the fifteen thousand. That puts you at sixty thousand. Um, let's say you can acquire the property for fifty thousand. That's what you're offering um, the the seller. So if you're at 60 and now 50 is going to be taken up because that's the acquisition cost, you have $10,000 left to, to work with. Of that $10,000, let's say there's $2,000 in closing costs. Let's say there's another $2,000 in fees and insurance expenses uh, and holding costs. That's $4,000 that has just cut into it. So you're at $6,000 right now. That is what you have to work with for an assignment fee. 
uh, basically. And that may not even be guaranteed because let's say you still have to have some negotiation room uh, with both the buyer and the seller. You know, let's say the seller says um, they want to uh, they uh, they want to pull out unless you can close uh, quicker. And you say, well, uh, if I give you an extra two thousand dollars, will you will you not pull out? And they say, yeah, okay. Well, now you've cut from six thousand to four thousand on your on your assignment fee. Um, you know, that's just that's just an example. But that's that's a good way to kind of figure out where you stand with a deal like that. Now, if the numbers are like, you know, you're at seventy five and then 15 for repairs and then 60 for acquisition that's already the full 75,000 that means there's no no room for holding costs no room for insurance no room for um, you know closing expenses and no room for your assignment fee so that deal may not actually work it may not be good enough uh, that's where negotiation skills come in yeah i do agree with that negotiation skills you know, your negotiation skills is going to determine how good your deal is going to be. You know, as you keep doing it, it becomes second nature and you, you'll know where you need to be. You just always want to build a strong report going in to a contract on a property. So that way you don't really have much to worry about. Uh, but if you're promising people left and right and you're not delivering, you're just going to set yourself up for failure. So it's yeah. about setting expectations in the deals. Now, the last thing uh, we want to talk about before we finish up the this episode is, um, you know, looking at uh, the exit and using that to determine how you evaluate uh, this deal. So, uh, like we talked about earlier in the episode, you know, like there's there's several ways to look at a deal. Um, so far. What we've been talking about is a pretty common approach for someone who's going to do a fix and flip. You know, you want to have that 25% equity spread um, because things come up, life happens. Yeah. I mean, that's just the fact of the matter. You're going to have a contractor who maybe shows up late, who doesn't get the job done on time, who's going to be behind schedule, um, or maybe you'll have contractors that do really, really great, but you, you know, uh, the weather uh, affects. Um, what you can do with uh, with the, the rehabs, um, you know that that's just one aspect to it. You know they they want to have that cushion for just in case. You know and right now the market's really great, so um, you know chances are they can sell it uh, for full retail value or maybe a little more depending on on where they're at in the in the city and the time of year that they sell. But um, there are there are other strategies to use. You know, if someone who is going to do this as a buy and hold rental, they may be willing to take a little less equity because they want to have that rental income coming in. That passive income. Right. So, you know, they they may be looking at this and say, well, um, if we can't get it down to 75 percent of the ARV, I might be OK with 80 maybe even 85% of ARV. I think, I think it, 85 is like way Yeah, it, it. <laughs> it's way. unrealistic. Yeah, it's but unrealistic. <laughs> for the sake of example, the point I'm trying to make is that's how you can figure out the wiggle room. So, yeah. you know, if you if you maybe are at a, have a deal where you're in that 75 to 80% range, it might be a good approach to sell it as a potential buy and hold rental because of the fact that yes, there's a little bit of equity room, but the rental income is going to be the key selling point. So you would want to focus your efforts on selling that contract to an investor who is looking for a buy and hold rental property. Whereas 
uh, if you tried to sell the same property with the same numbers to someone doing a fix and flip, they may not be too interested in it because the equity position isn't where they want it to be. Um, now, the other, uh, a couple other ideas as well is, um, you know, getting the property, uh, let's say that you're in that scenario I mentioned earlier, where let's say it's like 15,000 of repairs, 60,000 acquisition cost, um, that you're already at 75% ARV and, and the, the seller is absolutely not willing to budge on that. Another option you could do is ask them to sell it on terms, owner finance it to the investor. You know, would they be willing to take 20,000 cash right now as a down payment and then receive monthly, regular monthly payments over a specified period of time that you guys negotiate? Um, a lot of times that's, that's a, a good compromise because the seller, they, they think, oh, you know, that's a good cash lump sum right now. But that's passive cash flow for for you know a couple of months, you know maybe a couple of years. Um, like they, that might be a reasonable possibility. Which means uh, now you got to take a look at those numbers and see what that looks like in terms of uh, you know uh, the risk of uh, for holding costs to fix the house and then you know uh, rent it out. Uh, you're basically going to uh, factor in the numbers just like you would if you had a traditional mortgage and you got that mortgage payment to make. Uh, so you're going to set your rents to, you know, a slightly more than what the mortgage is so you can recoup that cost and maybe have some net positive cash flow. But another strategy, and this I want to go back to um, earlier in the episode where Alex was talking about, um, you know, someone running into financial trouble using that as a point of leverage for negotiating your deal or finding their magic number. Um, you know, there may not be uh, a, a magic number per se for the sale, but let's say they have their $7,000 behind on their taxes. That might be a really great sub two deal. Um, and, and that's just another tool in your tool belt, uh, on how to approach these deals. So this entire episode that we've talked about this, you know, 70 to 75% ARV, this is just a great starting point because that's where the majority of investors who buy these contracts are going to be looking at these deals from, but that doesn't mean you have to look at every single deal that way because it how how that conversation initially goes is going to determine where you're going to end up with that deal uh and again ha just having uh experience with that uh, some negotiation skills and sales and i mean really it just comes down to having a conversation with that seller and with the buyer building that relationship of trust uh, and figuring out how to make it win for everybody involved yeah and also everything is negotiable so don't ever be scared to ask for something when somebody when a seller or a buyer asks something from you you know you're you're in this to make money you're in this to support your family you know constantly grow learn and pay attention to and just be patient absolutely that's pretty much it for today's episode thank you guys for listening next week's episode is going to be a continuation of this where we're going to continue talking about evaluating a deal but we're going to go into how to look at deals for multifamily and for apartment complexes. So uh, I, I look forward to that one because that's a exciting, uh, uh, kind of slightly different, but it's uh, you know it, it it's a fun dynamic, and uh, we're, we'll be happy to share that with you. Um, but before we say goodbye, I want to say reach out to us on Facebook, uh, send us an email, 
Let us know um, that uh, that you like listening to the podcast. Let us know what you want us to talk about. If you have questions, we'd love to answer them. Um, if you have comments, we'd love to hear them. Uh, if you want to work with us, definitely let us know. Um, you know, pretty soon here, uh, maybe after uh, in two or three more episodes, we're going to start having a couple of guests come on to do interviews with us. So yeah, again, reach out to us on Facebook. We're Hillco Homes, spelled H-I-L-C-O. Reach out to us. We'd love to hear from you.